Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. I'm here today with one of our uh, very special portfolio CEOs, Blaine Haytab of Distru. Blaine, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going, Eric? Uh, great to have you here. For the audience, why don't you give an introduction to, to both your company and yourself? What is Distru? What, what problem are you trying to solve? And why don't you give a bit of background of your journey in the cannabis industry and how you, uh, how you came to solve it? Yeah, absolutely. How we kind of started Distru was we were just sizing up the cannabis industry and trying to find out how cannabis got from the farm to the end consumer and who's going to kind of control that process. So what we actually did was we launched uh, six landing pages. So that was pretty fun. Uh, Canalander, which was targeting brands. Canagiver, which is targeting this really interesting trend of caregivers being able to control some of the supply chain. We weren't sure if doctors were actually going to be a big part of the supply chain. What we found out was that the brands and the distributors were major influencers on how the cannabis moved around and the pricing in the cannabis industry. So what we did was we built a CRM, kind of like a map that populated all the official locations and license of all the retailers in it. So that way brands could sell really easily to the dispensaries. But we found out was that they really don't have any software at all. These guys are using Excel, QuickBooks. So we had to really build an inventory management tool on top of this. And then that ended up building into what we are now, which is supply chain software for cannabis distributors and manufacturers. So we cover everything from source to sale. So that's their procurement, their inventory management, their production, their sales, their CRM, and uh, how they intake the cash too. And zooming back out, how did you even get in the cannabis industry in the first place? Yeah, so I came from a software background originally. So I did consulting and uh, I did uh, engineering at different uh, organizations. I just really thought the software industry, the cannabis industry was exciting. I thought that there was a big playground for entrepreneurs to be able to figure out the kinks. There's no incumbents and uh, how we can kind of tackle that. On top of that, I think that there's a lot of long-term benefits to the cannabis industry that are a little bit overlooked sometimes. It really is this magical thing. Like when I talk to one of our customers and they're talking about how they started this company and left the finance world because their kid has epilepsy and they want to provide the best medicine for them and they give shots of medicine to their kid every single day, three times a day, just so they can live a normal life, you kind of realize that there's a lot more to this. So those are some of the reasons why we're really attracted to the cannabis industry. Totally. And so why don't you give sort of a background on how sort of the cannabis industry sort of took off and started even in terms of when, when did big businesses start coming out of cannabis and what, what was first sort of the first wave of businesses? Yeah, I'd say we're still very early stage. Uh, there's still some deals that go on in the cannabis industry that show its stripes and how young it is. 
I, I think less than, what was it, 10 years ago, cannabis oil wasn't even a big thing. And the number one selling product right now is vape carts, which were made with oil. So one of the leading products in the industry wasn't even in existence 10 years ago. But I'd say that we are on that cusp point. Money is starting to pour in. It's going into these big Canadian companies that are then funneling money into America. You have these big real estate players uh, and also these vertical funds that are trying to buy cultivation, retail, manufacturing. Those are kind of the biggest players. Um, So in America, MedMen's a good example. They're a billion plus market cap company that owns like 13 retail chains. Canada, it's Euphoria, Canopy Growth, Privateer Holdings. They own the cultivation, retail, manufacturing. And in America, I'd say that MedMen's probably one of the bigger ones, but there's like a new company called Tilt Holdings. Uh, They're a combination of some software and a few other players. But uh, these types of companies are definitely starting to come up. These holdings companies are on the rise. Let's go into sort of each subsector. You, you named a few and, and talk about sort of the, how they work and some of the big companies in the space and it make any analogies to any other industries that could be helpful to, you know, for people to understand, like, is it winner take all? You know, what, what separates the people who are winning from those who don't? Is it exclusive relationships? Is it customer experience? Can, can you navigate into, you know, deeper into some of these subsectors? Yeah, let me first just explain how the supply chain came to be and go from there because that's kind of how I think about it. So originally it was Colorado that legalized and they just had the most basic kind of implementation that you could have. It was, you have one license, you have to grow your marijuana and you're the one that sells it. And that was kind of how it started out for a long time. And then the other states kind of followed suit with that. Over time, that makes no sense. Target does not make all their products. So they started to separate out licenses, make licenses in the middle for the people that are making these vape cartridges and brownies and start to, you know, make a ecosystem that looks a little similar to the alcohol industry or the pharma industry. And California was the first one to really put a flag in that and say distributors and manufacturers are first class citizens and will be legally required to be a part of the supply chain before cannabis gets to the retail. And they did that from a testing perspective. They want to make sure product is clean before it gets into retail stores. And that kind of trend is on the rise. And brands, distributors are kind of the fastest growing players in the industry and becoming more the influential players on the supply chain. In what ways is it like or not like alcohol and like and not like the pharma industry? I'd say that it's just the uniqueness of the product. Alcohol is a recreational product and that's it. There are absolutely medicinal layers. As I said, that company where the father that started it that has a son with epilepsy, that is a medicinal only company. And they operate more like a pharmaceutical company. And they are approaching pharmaceutical companies to see if they can make an actual medicine that goes through the FDA. So I think it's takes notes from alcohol from a recreational perspective, takes notes from the pharma industry from a medical perspective, and it also takes notes from a wellness perspective. There's the CBD plant that has been growing on the rise for uh, pain medicine, for anti-inflammatory. There's a lot of athletes that are endorsing it. 
Um, and I, I think that's what makes cannabis unique. I, I think it is this combination of a few interesting factors that make it something different. Totally. And do you see a, uh, when you talk about, you know, manufacturing, cultivating you know, distributors, retailers, is there a company that could be sort of a full stack solution for, or even two or three of these, or will they be big independent companies for each one? I think that people are figuring that out. And right now, the way that the world's going is that it depends on the country and state you're in. So the laws that go into place basically allow for different licensing structures to come up. So Oregon, for instance, has no cap on cultivation. If anyone wants to be a cultivator, you can get a license for that. It's caused the entire Oregon market to plummet in price for cultivation and flour is essentially worthless. And cultivators are literally trying to buy retail space so they can make their cannabis not worthless and not have almost zero margins. But in other states, they literally only allow 20 cultivators, but then have hundreds of retailers. So what's happening is you have these groups that are mastering the regulations of each state and country and really rolling out state-specific infrastructure. So why didn't you say, okay, well, let's compete with privateer or... or or, or somewhere else within this value chain? Yeah, so if I was trying to compete with them, I would identify the long-term states that I think that will define the cannabis industry, like California, New York, and really just make sure I play the best way possible in those. Because I have seen companies go from Oregon to Colorado to California trying to implement the same structure across all three of them. It failed miserably it really doesn't work. You really need to know each state. And I think that that would be what I would do. I would have a team that really just masters compliance. And and that's what MedMen says a lot. Uh, So they're one of the biggest retail funds out there. And they say that they really are a company that just masters compliance in each state. And and that's their value add. Uh, The real estate's definitely a part of it. The supply chain of getting the products there is definitely a part of it, but understanding each state and maximizing towards that state is the biggest aspect of what they do. Given that there were already sort of established players, why did you decide to choose this end of the market instead of a different end or element of the market? And if you weren't building uh, you know, the supply chain, where else would you be building a company in the cannabis space? Yeah. So I've been talking about the, the actual core of the industry the retailers, the cultivators, the brands, and the distributors. Uh, But there's a lot of interesting layers on top of this as well that companies like Privateer aren't even trying to touch, which is like the ancillary things that we're doing. We're writing software that connects uh, the ecosystem. And I think that there's a lot of growth potential there, and it's yet to be seen who's going to be the biggest players, hopefully us, as the industry grows, um, grows on. But... In regards to like long-term opportunities, I'd say there's so many more than just that core model, the cultivation of retail. I think there's a Monsanto of cannabis play that's going to be extremely interesting. I think that we're going to see companies that have indoor grows, that have infrastructure across the nation, that do vertical farming. I think those will do really well. I think that the cannabis plant from a biomedical perspective is completely untapped right now. 
And I think that we're going to see unique medical applications in the cannabis industry that have never been seen before that will just help people live better lives. Let's, let's touch on some of those ideas. So the vertical farming piece, wasn't Blake, uh, your co-founder uh, previously of Open Door, before teaming up with you, working on an idea like that? Yeah, so he was making software for cultivators. I think that's a different play. I think that you can own the cultivation and the software, and I think you can also make the software for those people. So he was trying to make sensors that helped cultivators uh, maximize their grows. I, I think there's definitely a lot of potential there. Right now, the biggest hang-up on that is that it's not clear how important cultivators will be or if it will be commoditized. So right now, there's a lot of South American countries that are starting to get into cultivation that have some of the best agriculture infrastructure out there. And if, if you look at other you know, agricultural products, they are massive exporters of other things and just completely kill everyone on costs. Uh, so it's not clear if South America will be able to come in with six cents a gram cannabis and completely commoditize cannabis to the point where America can't even play. But what he was doing was he was making software to help them kind of start their operations and get going and manage their regulations within each state. Talk talk more about the Monsanto. Like what what could that look like? Yeah. And just to kind of hint at what you're getting at, you're trying to understand the different plays. There are so many plays. I'm going to keep emphasizing that. I think the cannabis industry, if you try to boil it down to one play, is just an oversimplification trying to match it up to your mental model of another industry. Uh, and I and I'd tell people to avoid doing that. But on the Monsanto play, I would say that there's going to be a company that's going to try to make custom genetics for the cannabis industry, make the highest yield, lowest cost seeds, and patent them. Whether they'll be able to patent them, there's a huge fight going over, on over that right now. But whatever direction that goes towards, they do allow patents on genetics. Uh, there will be a big company that will have superior genetics than everyone else. Will they be hated uh, like Monsanto is? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is already a lot of cultivators that don't like them. But there's some interesting companies. Like there's this cryo company where they actually take your seeds and your clones and they put them in genetic fluid that keeps them preserved over time. So that way you can sell those genetics to other people. So I love the idea of there being a company that allows the cultivators that have been here for 30 years to get their genetics to be the Monsantos, but not have a Monsanto that just monopolizes it all. And on that note, it's actually really interesting because I figured, okay, some bio company is going to come in and just have better genetics than everyone. Like, that's great. These guys have been growing cannabis, all that, all that. But I actually like have like seen some numbers on like the best genetics with like yields. And it's really the guys that have been here for a while that have some outstanding genetics that are hard to compete with. Let's say, so Snoop Dogg has a, I think a media company and a fund. If you were his advisor of where he should be playing in the cannabis space, what would you advise him? I mean, I would tell him to keep going the direction he's going. I think that ancillary software, which is like what we're doing, I think is a little bit overlooked right now. And I think that it's going to be a huge influencer on the industry and gathering the data around the supply chain 
is going to be instrumental as the cannabis industry grows. The players that will be able to facilitate federal legalization, like when federal legalization happens and then all the states can interact with each other, software is going to be instrumental for that to become kind of what it will eventually become. So, I mean, I would say Dane is late. He's investing in Metric, which is the software provider that works with the states that require every operator to report every gram of product that goes out of every operator's facility. Uh, They're investing in marketplaces. They're investing in software similar to us that manages the compliance and logistics. And I think that direction is a really strong play. So there are certain industries where uh, incumbents sort of reign supreme for for, you know, over a hundred years, like people haven't disrupted, you know, Coke, you know, soda companies or cereal companies or other, lots of other CPG or to give one example types of companies, how do startups and incumbents work in the, in the cannabis industry? And what are, you know, parts where incumbents have it just unlock and, and what about what leads to that? Yeah. The, the major incumbents that are coming in the cannabis industry are guys like Constellation Brands that did Corona. You have Marlboro who just made a massive investment uh, you have Miracle Grow making massive investments. I think Bear, I think they were trying to come in. I can't remember if they actually did eventually come in. But a lot of them are funneling money into Canada. And then that money trickles down into America. Uh, so that's kind of their safest outlet for their money. And those Canadian funds, as I said, are coming to America and making investments and buying companies up. So where else do you see you know, opportunities out there in terms of for, for people out there who are looking to build businesses in the space? where else might you point them? I would definitely say focus on your skill sets. Focus on what you know. If you have a bio background, there are so many cool things there. Uh, Like there's this one company, they're making yeast for cannabis. So you basically lab uh, grown THC. It's kind of like impossible meats. Uh, so they do like GMOs and yeast and make the, you know, meats that they sell. Uh, There's a company that's doing that for THC. And they want to work with the pharma industry to be able to provide like perfectly exact levels of the THC that does exactly what they need for their medical products. If you know software, I think that there's, as I said, massive opportunity to be able to direct how the supply chain comes to fruition. But the most obvious things are obviously like real estate, marketing, branding, legal. If you have any of those types of backgrounds, I think you can start a very successful company either on the cultivation, distribution, or retail side of things. Yeah. You mentioned legal with, uh, with compliance, right? Yeah. And the legal with compliance is because like, if you understand real estate, that's cute. You know what I mean? If you understand consumer packaged good brands, that's cute. But I have seen a way too many dead companies because they didn't understand the legal landscapes and how to optimize around those. If you don't understand that, you will have massive, massive costs. You know, we were talking earlier about what new spaces will emerge. And let's go through sort of one by one. Where, where in biomedical? Let's, let's talk more about that. Yeah, I, I think like one of the most guaranteed things is just targeting specific diseases uh, like epilepsy and just making medicines that are geared towards that and doing research on that to figure out what is the best combination of certain cannabis or literally customizing the cannabis that you grow for that disease. And I think there will be a plethora of diseases that will have cannabis-specific medicine for uh, that will eventually get to the ideal you know, solution set there. 
also on the medical side, I'd say just cannabis. Like you can just prescribe cannabis for certain things. Are you having trouble eating? Are you having trouble sleeping? I, I think we've yet to see where that will fit in, but I think there will definitely be a few applications there, even if it's just recreational with branding, like a company that makes a big cartridge that's customized for sleeping, or if it actually becomes kind of this medical type thing. And then other medical things, as I said, CBD, there's a lot of like athletes and people that are pushing for it for anti-inflammatory and uh, getting better with like back pains and stuff like that. And the number of people that I talk to that take daily CBD because it makes their life better for XYZ reason is shocking to me. Uh, It's so many more than I thought it would be. I'd say one that interests me personally, because I have a mechanical engineering background. I don't know if this counts as medical, but the industrial applications of the cannabis and hemp plant. So when I worked at 3M, they had this uh, the chart of elements, every element that you can use at 3M. So it's kind of their own custom elements, not like hydrogen and helium. It was like Teflon, which 3M made, and all these other chemical compounds that they made, 143 of them, I think it was. And that's what they pull from whenever they make anything, their filters, their glasses, their screens. And I've looked into some of the properties of hemp and cannabis for like hemp plastics, hempcrete, things like that. And I don't even think we've scratched the surface there. And I think there's a potentially multi-billion, if not potentially trillion dollar opportunity just there if it does turn out to have properties that are better than any other material. Really? Why don't you give some color on CBD and where the opportunities there are? Yeah. So CBD is right now growing more from a recreational perspective because there is no regulations. So people are just saying, I'll make a product and sell it nationally or internationally. That is changing though. States are starting to implement laws that require you to operate within that state with an actual cannabis license. So it's kind of coming back to the same kind of, you have to understand the regulations of every state. But the end goal of CBD, I think that it's wellness. I think that it helps with, as I said, the anti-inflammatory, helps with pain. And some people just take it just because they said it makes them like, it's kind of like a vitamin D effect. They just said it makes them a little bit happier every day, kind of like a vitamin. For those who don't know, can you give us just some background on what CBD is and why it's special? Yeah. So the cannabis plant has over 100 kind of compounds within it. THC is just one compound. That's the one that gets you high. But there's CBD, which is one of the most dominant ones in cannabis that can be used for these medicinal applications. And as I said, is being pulled out for these different uses. And there's another one that I think is super cool, CBN. So if you grow cannabis and as it ages, after you chop the plant down, CBN levels rise. And there's people working on isolating CBN that is the ideal cannabinoid for sleep. And there's, as I said, over a hundred other ones that we have not tapped into. So we're going to see what other ones have merit, but CBD and CBN are probably the more popular chemicals within there. And you also put here hemp-based things or hempcrete type things? Yeah. So the hempcrete stuff, I think that if it works it will be massive. That's the biggest thing. I think that if you could 
get a company like 3M and they figure out a certain application with hemp that it is just superior and more cost effective to use, that it will completely release, replace certain things. I don't know what it is and no one does. More research needs to be put into it. And the problem is, is that not many companies are taking those risks on researching those opportunities because they don't even want to bother. They don't even want to try because it's risky and there's laws and laws change. But once companies like 3M start doing research and saying like, hey, let's try to make hemp plastic because hemp has better uh, tensile strength properties. It has better mold properties. It has better fire retardant properties. We'll find out where it will apply. So on the hempcrete note, hempcrete is like mold resistant, water resistant, all these great things that allow a building that's made on hempcrete to last a lot longer than a standard house. So that's just one current application, but I, I don't even think we scratched the surface on that. You mentioned new opportunities regarding distribution. Can you say more about that? Yeah, that's the what's right in front of us. If you want to look at where the cannabis industry is just heads down looking at right now, it's the fact that markets are coming online. No one has dominant control over the retail, distribution, and cultivation, and big players want control over it. So if you can help the supply chain of the industry mature and develop, so thousands of retailers in California, and you can help cannabis get to those thousands of retailers on time, efficiently, cost-effectively, and within the regulations of the state, either from a software or an operational perspective, you're providing immense amounts of value. And that's true across the entire nation right now. Totally. And so when you say coming online, what's it going to look like? Am I you know, going to be on an Amazon-like site and just order and it comes? Or, you know, as I guess what ease is one push delivery, right? Like what's, what's it going to look like from a consumer perspective? Yeah, I, I mean, Ease definitely got a lot of traction in the main, like, LA and the uh, Bay Area kind of stuff. I'm not entirely sure on that because the lawmakers change the laws every single few months. Like, one month they say that you have to have a retail location and cannabis can be delivered to the end consumer, but it has to go directly from the facility to the end consumer. Before, they allowed the drivers with the cannabis to have $10,000 of the product on them at any given time. So they would drive around with a few SKUs on them. People would make an order. They'd be there in five minutes. But with that law changing, so that way you have to actually come from the retail location itself, that makes the logistics a lot more expensive. And they just changed the laws again. So it's really up to the lawmakers to find out how delivery will play out to the end consumer. And that's a state-specific scenario. Again, I'm going to keep saying that all day, but it really is. In other states, delivery doesn't even exist. It just doesn't exist. So we'll see if that's an eventuality that delivery will exist, or they're just going to be hard nose on that and make it more complicated. Talk more about how you see wellness like what sort of products or you know or opportunities could exist there related to CBD? Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I knew a little bit more on the exact applications that are on the rise, but I think that the, the ones that I hear the most are definitely related to constant pain, 
Uh, like, so like I, as I said, like I know football player, uh, he, uh, puts the cream CBD THC cream on his back every day. And it says it's helped him more than anything he's used before. Then there's people that say it helps with like stomach problems. It's, I can't even tell you how many types of things I've heard people say they take CBD for, but I just think like getting the product out there in different form factors is the real key there. Uh, you can't just sell white label, like literally like unbranded CBD to people. And, and right now these CBD companies are kind of figuring out the messaging and finding the most popular niches and, and, and repackaging their materials and products for those different segments. If you um, had to make sort of a timeline, uh, you know, going back from, I don't know, 2000 or even 1990 of, of how the cannabis industry has evolved till today, what would be some of the biggest uh, sort of, you know, watershed moments or, or milestones in that timeline that mark sort of a, a change of, of how the industry has, has evolved? Yeah, I mean, legalization in Colorado was monumental. That was huge. That was the catalyst that showed that cannabis can make governments money and save them money on not having to arrest people for cannabis. And then the success of that from a perspective of reducing arrests, it was overall a giant win. Then the other states really came online and followed suit. That's been by far the biggest milestone. Canada legalizing um, nationally, and then California going from just the medical collective kind of play to a full-on recreational state was the latest major catalyst. Every major player in the nation, and even Canada, has eye, all eyes on California. Uh, if you win California, you're going to do pretty good in the rest of the states. Are you seeing like private equity come in and roll up dispensaries? Is that an opportunity? So that was what I was talking about with MedMen. So MedMen, I don't know what number of retailers are at now. Last I checked, it was like 15. They might be at over 20. But they buy retail uh, stores or they maybe like buy a person with a license and then just rebrand the store. Uh, and then they kind of have a supply chain infrastructure, work with brands and distributors that we work with. And then, you know, get the retail store up and running. They're doing good. I think they had like a market cap over a few billion now. Yeah, there's definitely retail kind of conglomerates, kind of like BevMo's out there for sure. So if we had to, uh, you know, compare the cannabis market in the last decade to the crypto market, we might say that the crypto market started with, uh, you know, only early adopters and, and you know, uh, engineer and, and tech enthusiasts. And then you sort of the ICO craze, you know, retail investors came in and said, hey, this is a chance for me to make a lot of money. And then, you know, recently they probably lost a lot of money. Um, and now it's in the trough of sorrow. It's, it's the builders working, but, but it's gone mainstream in some sense. That is sort of an example. How, how has the cannabis industry uh, evolved in the last decade? I'd say the only trough of sorrow that we experienced was in Canada. Uh, I'd say there was definitely a trough of sorrow there. I think the second that all these major players came online in Canada, money poured in like crazy, way too much money. And even in America, to a little bit of a lesser extent, because you couldn't have institutional investments, we saw a similar timeline. I think it was around 2014, 15. I can't remember the exact year, but there was a big burst of money coming in. And they just didn't have their revenue figured out at that point in the supply chain setup. So there's a little bit of a sorrow there where they're like, okay, the revenue numbers don't line up with what we just put into them. But right now, we are seeing a very realistic 
revenue-driven growth. Like people are putting up numbers, like hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue per quarter. And, and the engine is turning. And I'd say that we're seeing a real industry in the very early stages with people taking some calculated bets. But I would expect that we're in the beginning stages of where it's going to go. So have we not experienced the equivalent of an ICO boom yet? Or is it uh, it's sort of pre that? I definitely would say that it's pre that. I think it depends on, as I said, like the place. Like I think Canada is where a lot of maybe the ICO boom could be. But here's the thing. These guys are posting up their numbers like, you know, Canopy Growth and Afria and Privateer Holdings. And the numbers are there. It's kind of like there was this big explosion of money coming in. And then they were like, hey, there's actually revenue here. So I would say it's not quite like the ICO because they kind of backed it up. So I would say that trend is going to continue. I don't see any major players right now that I keep tabs on not growing. And I think that they are going to keep growing. Uh, I think that the smaller players are going to get weeded out. And I think that consolidation is going to happen. But the major people are going to see a lot of long-term success. And from a legal perspective, people who have licenses around dispensaries, is that going to be seen in the future like the equivalent of the taxi medallion, like something that will be disrupted and and not exist? Or is that a different analogy? Great question. I don't know exactly how that's going to play out. And the biggest thing I'm thinking about right now is how federal legalization is going to affect that. I can't wait to figure that out because... Right now, with how the industry is, it's definitely a taxi medallion-like. You know, you got the states coming up with, there's X number of cultivation licenses, X number of retail, and you kind of fight for them, and you have to be in part of the party. And there's even literally companies that specialize in getting as many license applications as possible in a single state. I'm talking like thousands of license applications just to be able to get a few retail spots or a few distribution spots. But- I don't really care about that right now. I want to know where it's going when we federally legalize. Will they still enforce these borders? Will we allow interstate commerce? That to me is going to drive a lot of how the industry grows because Oregon, for instance, has 3,000 grows growing cannabis for a fifth of the cost of Massachusetts. If there's borders opening up, that's going to disrupt entire states and certain companies will just collapse within seconds. And I just don't know where we'll go, but that will be a pivotal moment in the cannabis industry. How how do you see regulation evolving over time and who's sort of at the front lines of, of creating this from, from the cannabis startup industry or, or ecosystem? Yeah, I'd say that the California is definitely one of the more mature companies in terms of how they're doing regulations. And I think a lot of states are looking at them. So they were the guys that uh, they did distribution and manufacturing as a required uh, piece of the supply chain. I think other states are really looking at that and taking note of that. And they want to do similar because it allows you to control the supply chain more. So our customers, as I said, are the brands and the distributors. And they're the ones that have to collect all of the taxes to pay the state. And all cannabis has to go through them and get tested before it goes to retail. And it's kind of like an easy way for the governments to control things. I don't know where, I'm very interested to see where New York goes. That's going to be big. 
Uh, if New York follows suit with how California works, which people think that it will, but we'll see, that will kind of direct how the rest of the states will follow suit. Totally. How have VCs played in the last, you know, five or 10 years in the cannabis industry? Yeah, I think that there's definitely money is starting to come in. So from a software landscape, money is starting to pour in. So at least for what I'm doing. So there's like $2 million, $3 million raises like, you know, a year or two ago. But a lot of those companies that raise those one or $2 million, they're doing follow-up investments. Almost all of them are. And you're talking about like $10, $17 million raises, you know, $14 million raises. And it's quite a few of them. And they're all getting the revenue to back it up. So from a software perspective, I think that we're in the very early stages and the guys that control the supply chain, kind of like what we intend to do nationally from a data perspective, are going to have a lot of influence on the markets. From other VPC perspective, it really comes back to what's your, what do you want to do? Like, are you trying to get into retail? Are you trying to get into CBD and wellness? Are you trying to get into medicinal? There's VC players that target every one of these different segments. And it really just depends on the players you're working with, who you think is going to win within each of those segments. I think there's viable plays in all of those though. So let's pretend that we've you know, started a VC firm in space and we started it maybe five years ago, um, you know, five to eight years ago. What would be our anti-portfolio or, or things we wish we had, we had invested in? Um, like would ease be on that list? Would you know, privateer? Like what, what would be on, on your personal list in terms of, oh, I see that being a multi-billion dollar company or is already a multi-billion dollar company today? Yeah, I, I think it depends on the size of your fund and how deep your pockets are going to get. That matters a lot. That, and it, that matters a ton. If you're talking about a 10 to $50 million fund, I would have said investing in software would literally be the number one highest value to investment. Uh, there's almost no one making software investments then. And those companies are consistently doing well and getting some really high margins right now. If we're talking about like investing in the cannabis industry for the next 30 years and we have billions of dollars to play with, I, as I said, I think it's state specific. I, we would have to talk about which states we're targeting. I would probably target California specifically, and I would probably be investing in the brands that I thought were going to do the best. And I'd target a wide variety of brands, vape cartridges, gummies, things like that. And maybe even invest in like a big delivery group, like an ease. So that way you have an outlet for these brands. And then if you win there, you're going to be able to expand to the other states and kind of like be a loss leader in the other states and kind of beat everyone based on that revenue you have in California. Yeah. Let's sort of touch on specific companies. So vape cartridges, is that, is that what Juul is? Or what? So it's kind of like a Juul. Yeah. There's so many vape cart companies. And the reason why there's a little bit of level of uncertainty is because like, even the guys that are winning right now that have received a lot of money and all that, I don't know if they're going to stay around and be the biggest players. There's every day there's a new vape cartridge company that comes into the industry every single day, literally. There, there was 600 manufacturers in California six months ago. There's over 1,200 now. It doubled. <laughs> the number of companies that are producing vape cart-like products doubled. So Select Oil, they're one of the bigger ones. Uh, they were the biggest one in Oregon. They're coming to California. They're doing really well on ease. Then there's like Jetty. There's Guild. There's, there's Open Vape. 
Uh, they were really, really big. I haven't seen them as much though. See, that's a great example. Open vape. They were massive, dominant players. But now if you go on the bigger delivery sites, I'd say that there are other guys that are beating them right now. Um, and that happened in less than a year. So if you had to pick five companies uh, that are worth less than $100 million today, but have the potential to be, to be unicorns the next decade or so that, that currently exist, which companies would you pick? And just any, okay. state, any sector. Yeah, if I had to pick a company, because uh, I know the most about the U.S. market, I would say I would invest in companies like Flocana that are getting the infrastructure of the California market from the growers to the manufacturing and just dialing that up and getting their costs down. Uh, I think that's a guaranteed bet, and I think that will be a massive play as the industry expands, and that you're able to repeat that across the other uh, states. Uh, besides that, if you're talking about, I think MedMen and just rolling up retail is a definite play. Uh, you just have to make sure that you understand real estate and compliance on a fundamental level. But I mean, if I was going to make investment, the lowest risk to highest return, I would say, is software right now. I'd say that that's one of the safest, most guaranteed bets that you can do the most damage with with a $100 million fund. Just invest in all the software companies across the entire supply chain, and I think you have a guaranteed billion-dollar company in there. What about something where you're, you're more bearish on? Something that you're trying to apply from another industry and apply to cannabis. You know, you're seeing everything from the, the Salesforce cannabis, Uber for cannabis, I mean, everyone's just doing X for Y. Like, what's not going to work? Social network for cannabis, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't know if I believe in a social network for cannabis. Blockchain for cannabis, I think, does not matter. These people are having problems driving the cannabis from point A to point B. I don't think a blockchain is going to help with that. I think that was a little bit of hype there, and I think that's quickly seen not much traction. I think that delivery is going to see a lot of problems as they expand to other states and they're going to be very driven by the specific cities. And I think that they're going to have a, a wall there to overcome. And I'm curious to see how they do overcome that. Cultivation has been so crazy. Some players are doing well, but I'd say cultivation has been one of the choppiest investments just because there's so many people doing it. And one day you're the biggest cultivator and then the next day you find out that there's company coming in buying 10 acres of cannabis of cultivation and growing. And then the next day you hear that it's 40 acres. So I think that there was a lot of investments in cultivation that quickly got one up within less than a year. And then a year later, those got one up. And I, I think that has been a, a very ugly fight. Zooming out a little bit. What's another prediction you have for the future for, for the next five to 10 years in the cannabis space? I think that it's, it so depends on what you want to focus on. Uh, if I had to choose a single prediction, it depends on which lens you're looking through. I think a guaranteed prediction is consolidation is going to continue to happen. And these brands that are doing well in a single state like Colorado or California are going to expand to the other states, rinse and repeat and start to have 10 plus state traction. And that is not where the industry is at right now. The biggest brands are in two, three states, four states. And, and that is a guarantee. You will see national exposure for these big players. 
uh, what do you say to people who say that, yeah, cannabis makes sense for people who have severe health related issues, but if you, if you don't have those, you, you, it's not, it's not healthy for you to, to be smoking or ingesting in some form. What, what do you say to those people? I'd say that it just depends on you. And I think that having, it's just like alcohol, just because alcohol is legal, like alcohol does damage you and do bad things to you, but it's not quite black and white like that. And I think that making it illegal for that reasons, not a good idea. And I think that personally, I can say from experience with like my usage of cannabis, it has been immensely positive for me. And it is affecting my life in a very positive way for my usage as I've grown up. How so? So I am very high energy, extremely high energy. And uh, there was a phase in my life where I was a little bit too high energy. And cannabis really helped me channel that. And uh, I think there's a stereotype that you can't learn well smoking or being on cannabis. I got really good grades in college while I was smoking pretty regularly and helped me calm down and channel my thoughts. So that's my personal experience. Obviously, it's not going to work for everyone. I don't say, everyone go get high and go learn. But it did help me a lot. And I think having the access to that for you to figure out your own life and how it applies to you is really important. Yeah. And with just a few minutes remaining, why don't you uh, give sort of a closing, maybe history of why it was uh, illegal in the first place and where that where that comes from? Yeah. So that... The, everyone should know at least a tentative idea of the story, but I'll kind of rehash it, which is there was the reefer madness era. I see the theory where uh, they said that the person owned a hemp, uh, was it a logging company and they were making paper and they didn't want the hemp industry to thrive because it would compete with them. I don't know how much merit there is to that, but there was a big hurrah around anti-cannabis from a social perspective and they ended up banning it kind of in that prohibition era. And we're just kind of lingering off of that. We're just basically people say no to cannabis. It's not good for you. And now we're just realizing that it's all good. (laughs) We can have cannabis. Um, It saves people with epilepsy. It has medicinal perspective. It It can help you sleep. We can apply it to plastics. We can use it for yoga. There's benefits there. Blaine, for people who want to learn more about uh, Distro and, and follow uh, your work, uh, where can they learn more and, uh, and get in touch? Yeah, so you can email me at blaine at distro.com, B-L-A-I-N-E, distro, D-I-S-T-R-U. You can check out our website to learn more. We're building software to control the supply chain of the cannabis industry. And if you're interested in learning more, just reach out. Uh, any plugs for what, what to expect from Distro in the future? Yeah, so we are uh, rolling out in California, and uh, we're about to expand nationally in the next uh, year or so, and kind of take our software and capture the market for brands and distribution. Awesome. Blaine, thank you so much. Uh, It's been a great episode, and uh, excited to see uh, everything with District. Excited to be. Cool. See you. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us up at villageglobal.vc slash network catalyst. 